Hey everyone, I'm Haley. And I'm Mackenzie, and this is Real Talk About Feminism. Welcome back everyone to episode 10 of Real Talk About Feminism. We are flipping roles today. So I will be the one in the driver's seat. Haley will be doing the feminist highlight. Yes, I'm so excited because we're just really flipping roles this episode. So it'll be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited about the topic that I picked. And I remember when we were doing some planning, (laughs) I really went for this topic and you didn't so much. (laughs) It's probably good that I did this one. You were really excited about it. And I was like, I don't even know what it is, but that's awesome. And then like when we came back to thinking about what we want to talk about this week, then you were like, well, I don't know much about this topic, so you can take the lead on this one. And I was like, (laughs) well, but you were the one that suggested it. So like, I don't know anything about it. And you, you somehow forgot that detail that you were really, really excited about it at first. I did. And I didn't really know much about it, but I've been researching it the past few days and it's so interesting and there's so many different routes I could have taken with it, but I'm really excited with the topics that I chose to discuss with this specific one. So we'll do the feminist highlight first and then we'll jump into this episode. So do you want to take it away? Yes. Okay. So our feminist highlight today is Coretta Scott King. She is the wife of Martin Luther King Jr. So I really like Coretta Scott King because she, yes, she was the wife of a very influential civil rights activist and leader, but she also had her own story and her own life. And she wasn't just an accessory of Martin Luther King Jr.'s life and all of his work. She really made her own activism career and just her own life um, out of everything. And I really like her story. So Coretta Scott King worked alongside her husband as a civil rights activist and leader um, and had her side career. She was always there supporting him at all of the marches, all of the movements, and she was by his side. And she also led her own groups. So she actually founded the National Organization for Women. She helped found it, um, which is really cool because she really wanted to help build up women. And that's what she did by co-founding this organization. Um, And another little interesting fact, before he was murdered, before Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, um, he had been planning this march and it was actually a march to support striking sanitation workers. And her husband had planned this march. Um, and it was through Memphis, Tennessee. He had already had it planned. And then he was assassinated. And Coretta really stepped up and took the lead for that march because she wanted to keep her husband's legacy going. And she didn't want this march and all of these people's voices to not be heard um, just because of the tragic death of her husband, which is so terrible. Um, but she really did step up and she actually ended up leading that march and didn't let it just like fall to the side, which nobody would have blamed her if she did. I mean, her husband was murdered, but she wanted to carry on his legacy. So she ended up leading that march shortly after his assassination because he couldn't, which I think is just so powerful. Um, and some of the, so there's some, I was kind of researching like 
um, her life. And she ended up writing a book and it was called My Life with Martin Luther King Jr. And it was published in 1969. Um, and she kind of just talked about like the activism that they did together and like, you know, just like their life as a normal couple would live together. Um, so she published that book. And once her husband passed, she actually founded the Martin Luther King Center for Nonviolent Change. And she was the leader of that from the get-go. Like she like created the foundation, she created the center, she founded that. And then she ended up passing on like the torch to one of her sons when she no longer could keep that. But she started that whole center. Um, so I just wanna end with just some quotes from her that I thought were really powerful. So the first one was, women, if the soul of the nation is to be saved, I believe that you must become its soul. And I love that because, wow, like, especially at that time of like civil rights and like people's basic freedoms being taken away um, just because of the color of their skin, she, the soul of the nation needed to be saved because that's not what it's about. Like it need, we need to have equality and nothing should be based upon the color of your skin. And she recognized this, but she recognized that women are very crucial in this change and that like the soul of the nation needs to be saved. And so as women, we need to become that soul and we need to be the leaders of change, which I mean, women historically have not been looked at as leaders and we're changing that now, but she was really telling us like women, we are leaders and we can make change. And I really love that. The last quote that I really just wanted to highlight from Coretta Scott King um, is this, and it says, it doesn't matter how strong your opinions are. If you don't use your power for positive change, you are indeed part of the problem. And I think that this quote of hers really just sums up her entire goal in life. And that was to inspire change and to inspire positive change. And she recognized that there's power in everyone's voices. And so she was there helping lead these marches and lead these movements and create these organizations that promoted positive change. And so I totally agree with what she said. Like we all have strong opinions, but it's about whether or not we choose to use our voice to promote that change. And that's exactly what she did. So that is Coretta Scott King. Wow. I'm glad we highlighted her this episode. I knew that she was a prominent activist and I knew that she was Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife, but I didn't know that she founded the center and that she was such a powerful force in the civil rights movement. Very cool. Yeah. And I just love that. Like we all know her husband because he was very influential and he was a leader. Um, but I love that she made her own life and she used her own voice and she wasn't just an accessory to him. So I just love that. Very cool. Well, we'll get into today's episode which is dun, 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 <laughs> ecofeminism. Yay! With this topic in particular, like Haley and I both mentioned, this was new to us. We'd heard of it, but never really knew what it was. It's pretty much what it sounds like, but 
please DM us or comment on our next post if you guys have heard of this too and what you guys think of this topic after hearing this episode because it's really interesting and if you delve into the research and different articles about it you'll see a lot of information and it's kind of an array of information there's a spectrum of it I feel like so we'll just start with the definition of ecofeminism Like I just mentioned, there's a lot of different theories and trains of thoughts with this topic. So I'll say a couple of definitions that I found and then go into detail about the one that I like the most. So if you just Google ecofeminism in the Google box that comes up, it says, quote, a philosophical and political movement that combines ecological concerns with feminist ones regarding both as resulting from male domination of society. I found another definition, according to the Sierra Club, and it says ecofeminism is the, quote, connection between gender inequality and environmental degradation. Degradation. (laughs) Why is that so hard? End quote. Um, A little background, the Sierra Club is a grassroots environmental organization in the United States that was founded in 1892. Grassroots just means the basic level of something. So they're a pretty prominent organization um, in the United States. They really push for, um, and they're really pro-environmental and push for environmental legislation. So if I'm understanding right, ecofeminism is a group and not just an idea, or it's an idea and it's turned into a group in an organization? To clarify, it's more of a branch of feminism and a train of thought. So there's a lot of different theories and sub movements of ecofeminism, if that makes sense. Yeah, so like the Google definition and the Sierra Club definition, those ones include how the degradation of the environment and ecosystems and also the oppression of women is all stemming from the patriarchy and how males dominate society. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It is very interesting. Now there's another definition that I found that I like the most and it's from Britannica.com. So this one is more broad and it says, quote, a branch of feminism that examines the connections between women and nature, end quote. So with this definition, it's more broad and just explaining how women and nature are connected. So I'll just tell all the listeners, I don't know anything about ecofeminism. So like I'm right here with everyone learning as we go. Um, But before we like talked about this topic for this episode, I just Googled what is ecofeminism. And that is the definition that came up, like the, how like women and nature, like, you know, coexist. And that just made me really interested. Like, that's the only thing that I know about what ecofeminism is. Like, that's my basis of knowledge coming into this. And I just think that's a really interesting concept. So I'm really excited to learn more. It is really interesting. And that's what caught me too. And I've always been passionate about the environment. I took an environmental class in high school and I fell in love with it. I absolutely loved it. It was so interesting. So hence why I'm leading this topic. I think it's really (laughs) cool. Um, Like I mentioned, 
I do encourage everyone to research this on their own because there's just so much information out there and so many opportunities to form your own opinions about it. So I'll kind of lay the basics and put some interesting information that I found that I'm interested in and share it with you guys. But it'd be really cool um, to hear your guys' thoughts about ecofeminism as well. For this episode, I'm going to stick with the Britannica definition of just examining the connection between women and nature. In previous episodes, I've mentioned I do not like to associate myself with like the male hating feminist group and like the radical feminists. So I'm just going to stick with studying women and nature together. The first thing I want to discuss with ecofeminism is the parallels between women and nature. So in my research, I came across this a lot and it's a really interesting concept because commonly women and nature are connected and compared to there's so many metaphors and poems and literature about women and the environment. For example, we always say mother nature or mother earth. We refer to the earth as having a mothering and tendering touch. So in that way, that's a very obvious parallel. Another parallel is the human life cycle. So similar to the seasons of the earth, there's the season of pregnancy, of periods. Women are also typically seen as the more caring, nurturing, and kind sex which compares to the earth because the earth is tender and nurturing and kind to us. So those are two parallels that I found that are interesting that I think we can all relate to. As mentioned before, even though I don't necessarily agree with the oppressive patriarchal domination aspect of ecofeminism, I did come across a really interesting article that I want to discuss because it was really cool and it brought up this concept of, of, excuse me, women and nature coexisting. So I came across this article written by an organization called Amazon Frontlines. And on their website, they have a mission statement and it says, quote, we are defending indigenous rights to land, life, and cultural survival in the Amazon rainforest, end quote. And this specific article is titled Women in Ecosystems, Omnipresent but Invisible. So from the title, you can kind of guess what it's going to be about. And we'll link it in the show notes because it's so cool. But in the article, they discuss how women in nature are often invisible to society. And I'll give a couple of examples of that. But it focuses specifically on indigenous women because it's an Amazon based organization and it's in the Amazon region, but it can apply to all women of the world. They don't just single out indigenous women. A couple of main things that they talked about was first that even though in South America and the Amazon region, there are very few women in political power, like very few, it didn't give a specific number, but it's very male dominated. Women are still creating change. They're still using their voices, still trying to push for more gender equality and simultaneously more protection for the environment. 
An example is in the 1930s, an indigenous woman helped establish bilingual schools, which was a very big deal because for one, it was the 1930s. And during that time, all over the world, especially in this region, women were not allowed to push for things to be done. Sometimes it's that way in many countries still, but it was a big deal that she established these schools because it helped the children, helps bring more culture and diversity. And it was a really big benefit to the community. A more recent example is there was a march in Brazil in 2019, so just a few years ago, and hundreds of women, indigenous women, other women of different ethnicities, tons of women came together and they brought awareness to the destruction of the Amazon rainforest. And they were protesting how much destruction there's been in recent years. So those are a couple of examples of specifically women in the Amazon region creating change and bringing awareness, but it's reinforcing that idea that even though women aren't in political power in this region and in many areas of the world, they're still pushing for environmental change. I really like that example of these indigenous women really rising up and standing up for, you know, causes that they believe in. And um, I know that like in like here in America, as women, our voices are a lot more heard. Like there's still issues that need to be dealt with, like regarding gender inequality. But a lot of times in these other cultures and other countries, like um, that uh, tradition is so instilled in like the family unit and like politics and just in everyday life just because like that's the country's culture and here in America we have a melting pot and so we have many different cultures and a lot more different viewpoints but in these other countries where these indigenous women reside there's the the patriarchy is very much alive and it's very strong and so it is a big deal for them to rise up and really express you know, their concerns and take action about it. So I think that's really cool. And I really like that example. Yeah. And I'll add to the reason this is such a big deal, especially in this area of the world is that unfortunately women are not given the opportunity to be in political power to push for this environmental legislation and to protect the environment. And I'll touch on this a little bit later as well, but it's a very big deal because in my research, I came across a lot of articles that typically countries with more gender equal political positions and with more women in power have more pro-environmental legislation, have cleaner environments, are more focused on renewable energy. And so these women in this region are just trying to bring that up and and really push for their homes to be saved. Because especially in the Amazon, there's been so much deforestation and crazy changes in the past years that's completely changed the landscape for future generations. So I think it's really great that this organization is in place and that these women are using their voices for environmental change. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I really like that you brought up that in countries where women are you know, in 
political positions that environmental issues are more brought to the front of the table and brought to the top of the agenda. Like men and women just think differently. And sometimes men tend to think of just like, just very like listing out like issues that are very immediate, but environmental issues are, have long-term impacts that are going to hurt us like a lot in the long term. And they hurt us now too. But I feel like sometimes like the male point of view is just very focused on fixing the immediate things that we can move on to the next thing. No, I totally agree. We'll touch on that later in the episode, but that's a really good point. Like men and women are just different. And I do agree with you that I feel like just because women biologically are typically more nurturing and see these issues more than men because we want to protect this land that we have because we see the beauty of it and all that it provides for us. And I'm not saying that men don't either, but like you said, like in politics, especially because environmental issues are so political now, men don't really focus on these issues as much because there's more important things and there's all this other stuff that has to be handled, which is true, but the environment is so important for our future and for the earth, you know, it's the only one we have. Yeah, totally. Another point that this article discussed in great detail is something that I a hundred percent agree with, but they basically said that women who are caregivers and quote housewives, if we want to use that term are often seen as invisible and that their work doesn't matter or contribute to society. A quote from their article is, numerous scholars and movements have also pointed out that women's labor is widely unrecognized. They draw attention to women's invisible role in housework as caretaker, as food provider. To cite an Amazonian example, Susanna Hetch in 2007 noted that in the Amazonian rubber boom context, Quote, the quotidian presence of toiling women in households was viewed as unremarkable and so remained unremarked, end quote. That last statement really hit me because it's saying that household work has never really been glorified or appreciated. And so it's remained that way for all these years. And they're comparing that to the earth later in the article. Because just as women's work is taken for granted and goes unnoticed, so does all the things that the earth provides for us. Water, shelter, clean air, beautiful views, places to explore. And I really like that parallel because many women who are stay-at-home moms and who pretty much run the household in America and many other countries of the world, it goes unnoticed and it gets taken for granted. And even sometimes then, like, I know there's a lot of women out there who don't feel like they do enough or don't feel like they contribute to society just because they stay at home all day. That is so not true. We talked about this like briefly in another episode, like how um, LinkedIn added stay at home mom as an official job title. And I think that's awesome because it really, it really is a job, but, um, like you said, like it just gets overlooked a lot and not as appreciated as it should be just like the earth. I really like that. 
Yeah. And if it weren't for us doing this podcast and me researching this topic, I never would have made that connection. Like, it's just so interesting because it's so true. And the earth gives us so many things. And I feel like as women, we contribute so much to society. So I really like that parallel. Yeah. And this, sometimes the things that we do contribute as women do get overlooked. Yeah, exactly. Another parallel is that this one's going to hit you deep. I just know it. (laughs) Women are objectified and so is the land because a lot of people. Yeah. I see if you guys could see her face right now. (laughs) I wish everyone could see my face right now. Right. A lot of people actually uh, probably a majority of countries and people see the land of the earth and think, Oh, what resources could we get from that? How much water could we pull from this river per day? How many vegetables could we farm from this land? You know, it's just so interesting. Like, um, I got that parallel from this article. I don't want to take credit for that. But once I read that, I was so intrigued. And I'm, I'm just fascinated and blown away by that because it's so true. Like, we're objectifying the land just as women are objectified. People used to live off the land and still respect mother earth and we just we have no respect for the earth anymore because we've just gotten used to you know this pattern of objectifying the land i think that is literally interesting because like at the end of the day like because of how greedy we are with the resources that are given to us we're destroying the earth just as objectification destroys women very true. I want to add to, there are still a lot of third world countries where people do have to live off the land. And I don't want to say that like everyone's destroying the earth, you know, cause like I really respect and appreciate their sacrifice that they have to take just to have water. That's not even sanitary or clean sometimes just to be yeah. able to go to the bathroom, cook food, you know? So I feel like because we live in America, we are more spoiled and we have a deeper understanding that especially Americans take advantage of the land and the resources we have, because I've never had an issue with water not coming out of my faucet or lights not turning on. You know, I've always had a nice place to live, a nice roof over my head, plenty of resources. So I know we're very lucky and privileged. What a cool parallel though. Right. I'm yeah. I just, I'm still in shock. I think it's so cool. I yeah, I think that is just so cool. So I think that's where it really ties in the feminism side of it. And definitely. Yeah. And I mentioned before, like I I don't want to harp on like how all environmental issues stem from the patriarchy, but there are very interesting thoughts in ecofeminism that I do agree with, like that objectifying one, for example. Right. I mean, I agree with you. I think that this topic is so interesting, Um, but I don't necessarily agree with the statement that all of our environmental issues stem from the patriarchy, because at the end of the day, um, men and women equally like objectify the land if we want to go with that argument Mm -hmm. like 
we we use the same resources and um so yeah i agree with you i'm not for the statement that all of the problems with the environment are from men like we play an equal part but there's very interesting ideas and i agree with the things that you're saying yeah and i think that thought of the male dominated society is what causes the the environment to be destroyed i feel like that comes from the majority of power being given to men you know and majority men hold political positions around the world so i and i do which i'll segue into but i do feel like if there were more women in political positions environmental issues would be pushed to the forefront i 100 percent think that so that's a good segue into the next point that i wanted to talk about with this um, ecofeminism topic um i read in several sources and i'll link a few in the show notes um because i came across a few really interesting articles um several sources discuss the idea that countries with more gender equality and women in power are typically more likely to protect the environment like we've been discussing. I feel like that comes from women being more caring in nature, more nurturing, more thoughtful about others around them and the world. An example of this is Iceland, which is at the top of my bucket list. (laughs) But I first really became interested in Iceland during the environmental class I took in high school because we studied it in depth. Like they're the poster child for renewable energy. And their current prime minister is (laughs) Katrine Jacobs-Dotier. I don't know if that's right. (laughs) I I thought I would try to pronounce it. Yeah. Um, But she is a woman. She's the current prime minister. And she's doing a lot of great work for uh, climate change, for the environment, renewable energy. And according to the Sierra Club article, she is, quote, setting Iceland on the path to become carbon neutral by the year 2040, unquote, which seems far off, but that's only in 19 years. Yeah, less than 20 years. Less than 20 years. And, you know, those things take time. Like you can't set a goal to say, we're going to be completely renewable energy in three years. That's impossible. So I think it's a really realistic goal. Again, maybe because she's a woman. (laughs) 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 But but, um, I think it's really great the work that she's doing. And according to the United Nations, today, as of today, almost 100% of the electricity consumed in Iceland, which is a population of 330,000 people, comes from renewable energy. And in addition to that, nine out of every 10 houses are heated directly with geothermal energy. Wow. I know. So cool. So I think it's really great. And it does help that they're over huge geothermal pools. Like they really have an advantage there. They have a prime spot. But they're really harnessing that energy. They're taking advantage of the earth. And that's what we were supposed to do. We have these great resources from the earth. We were supposed to do that all along. 
So I really respect Iceland. I want to go there so bad and see the geothermal plants and um, go in the Blue Lagoon geothermal pool. It'd be so cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. We can totally go together if you don't want to go with your husband alone. <laughs> I'll just hear you. <laughs> um, but going off of that point, I think that, I mean, the population of Iceland was what, 330,000? Is that yeah, what you said? Yeah, about 330,000. Which is not that many people for an entire nation. But I think that we, Iceland is a really good example of like, how renewable energy and sustainability can be achieved throughout a large group of people. And yes, even though it is a small nation, it's being achieved throughout the entire nation. And I feel like it's just a really good example that we should all, all of these other countries we should be looking to and like, like asking like, how is this being done? How can we, how can we create this amount of change on a larger scale in our countries? And I feel like our leaders really should embrace that and go to the leaders of Iceland, especially the prime minister, because she can help us get on that path of sustainability and just going and using renewable energy to really save our earth. I agree. The connection between the use of almost 100% renewable energy to power the entire nation of Iceland and a female prime minister cannot go unnoticed. I think that's a very important point, but I do agree. Like, I mean, I'm not sure if this has happened, but I think the president and the leaders of our nation of the United States should have a meeting with her and just be like, Hey, yeah. how did you do this? Yeah. Like Joe, can you sit down with her, please? Like, let's have a talk. Oh my gosh. We did it, Joe. <laughs> we did it, Joe. I want to be able to say, <laughs> I really want to be able to say we did it, Joe, to being sustainable in the U.S. I do like, <laughs> We should write him. <laughs> we should. Let's do it. Let's get him on the podcast. Let's really interview him yeah, and see why let's go. he's a prime minister. Yes. We'll hold him accountable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Another example of a woman that is pushing for environmental protection, um, she was the former prime minister of the Marshall Islands. Have you ever heard of that? Um, I feel like I have. It's a small island chain between Hawaii and the Philippines in the Pacific Ocean. Oh, okay. So close to where I'm moving. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should visit. <laughs> so. Her name is Hilda Hine, and her term as prime minister ended in January 13th of 2020. So very recent, and she served about four years. Um, but she, according to Time magazine, I found a really cool article that I'll link as well. It highlighted 15 women who are creating environmental change, and she was one of them. She, quote, committed the Marshall Islands to going carbon neutral by 2050. And the nation was the first to submit its emissions pledge under the Paris Agreement, end quote. So she made it a priority for her nation to be involved in the Paris Agreement, for them to have a goal of being carbon neutral by 2050, which 
similar to Iceland is a very attainable goal, I feel like, and is not too far off, but still gives plenty of time and is realistic. Um, in addition to that, the water level around the island is rising and it's creating a lot of issues because they're having major floods, major damage because of those floods. And so she also made it a priority to build seawalls around the island, at least like major populated areas, you know, to protect mm -hmm. the people. Um, but she's been working tirelessly and have been putting so much effort into making sure that her people are taken care of while pushing for climate change legislation around the world, not just in the Marshall Islands, but around the world. That's really cool. Yeah, so go Katrine, not even going to say the Prime Minister of Iceland's last name, go <laughs> Hilda Hein and all the other people who are pushing for this legislation and for environmental change. Those are just a couple examples, but they really stuck out to me. And I think, as mentioned, the connection cannot go unnoticed that they're both women and that they obviously care deeply for the environment and that they are creating change. Yeah, I think that's honestly so cool. And it, it really can't go unnoticed. Like it, it needs to be recognized because the connection can't be denied. It really can't. Like they're promoting so much positive change because they're using their voices, just like Coretta Scott King said we should as women. Mm -hmm. And they're really, you know, becoming the soul of their nations and leading. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And their, their people obviously trusted them to stay true to what they campaigned because they both campaigned about environmental issues. So they came through on their promises and yeah. are really trying to make a difference. We'll end this episode with a call to action because I'm super passionate about helping the environment. I know you are too. And it's always nice to have examples of how you can help the environment. It seems small. And I know growing up, we've all heard these examples, but I want to touch on these ones because these four that I'm about to say are very important and things that I really try and do. And I know they seem small, but I feel like it really has an impact on the environment. And I feel like it helps other people to see that even small things make a big difference. So the one that we've all heard over and over again is reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> but it, it really, it's called the three R's for a reason, like reducing your waste. An example of this is um, I have been using old candle jars and old pickle jars because we go through pickles like crazy. Like, <laughs> oh, interesting. We buy, we, <laughs> we buy the two pack from Costco and eat all the pickles and drink all the juice. <laughs> no, it's really good. <laughs> um, yeah, weird fact, if you guys wanted to know that. Um, but I've been using those jars and I'm saving them and I'm going to use them as planters because I love plants. So I'll, yeah, use them as planters instead of throwing them away. Can also be used as like storage jars or for organizations. There's a lot of cool things with that. Um, reusing kind of what I just talked about. And I've seen a lot of people too on TikTok that they'll cut up old shirts 
and like old towels that they were just going to throw away and they'll use them as wash rags or paper towels and that way they don't get thrown away they're still being reused yeah I've seen that too actually yeah really cool and obviously recycling um, luckily our apartment complex has a recycling bin but if you if you don't I think it's I think it would be awesome if you would still recycle because there are recycling plants, at least in the U S like there's local recycling plants. So even if your county or like the person who picks up your trash, even if they don't have a recycling bin, you can take it somewhere. Yeah, that's true. I was actually thinking about that today. So random because, um, my apartment complex, we don't have like recycle, but I actually finished my oat milk today and I was looking at the bottle and it was like recyclable, but we don't have recycle. And I was thinking like, I wonder if there's a recycle plant near me that I could just collect all of our recycle, like in a separate bin and then take it myself. Cause it's not that big of a deal to just like make a quick trip. So I'm glad you brought that up because it reminds me that I need to do some research on the recycling plants around me. Cause it's such a simple way that we can, you know, help reduce waste and reuse and everything. It is. And I think that with some plants, you can take aluminum cans and get like a quarter for them, which like, if you save up a lot, that can add up. Yeah, I'm not sure. sure. <laughs> Don't hold me to that. I've heard that a few places though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another way that I try and help the environment is to shop sustainably and a big example that me and um, I know me and Haley and our other sisters try and do is to thrift and go thrift shopping because there's so many good finds you can get. And I feel like with TikTok too, like um, like people around our age and the younger generation, like a lot of people thrift, which I yeah. love seeing. And I know that TikTok reignited my passion to thrift. So that was cool. Oh yeah. And thrifting is definitely very trendy right now. And so if you're one that like is just all about trending, even if you don't even care about like the sustainability (laughs) aspect, okay, we'll just get down to the roots of it. Thrifting is trending right now, everyone. So everyone (laughs) let's go out and thrift. Sustainability is trendy. Let's, let's go do it. Yes. (laughs) Some people from the younger generation might need to hear that. (laughs) Yep. Hint. Very, very obsessed with trends, but Haley's right. It it is gaining popularity, which I think is really cool. Um, I also try and use reusable bags. Yeah. So another thing that you can do, which I recently started doing, um, was, um, I'll like purchase my groceries, like, you know, through the self-checkout, whatever, And then I'll just put them right back into my cart. No plastic bags whatsoever. So I walk out of the store with no bags. Everything's just loosely floating around in the cart. And then I have this basket, this laundry basket in my trunk that I just keep at all times. And then when I go to offload my groceries, I just load it all into the laundry basket. And for me, that works because I'm only one person. So I can fit my groceries in. And so if you have more groceries, you might need to take a few trips. Like if you have a bigger family or, you, you know, it's two people. But it's really helped me because I also live in an apartment complex. So I have to walk up the stairs and I just Mm -hmm. pick up the basket and go into my apartment, unload everything and put it all back. And I don't have to deal with any bags at all. 
Yeah, I think that's awesome. I should start doing that. Like, that's why I like Costco so much too, because you can just put it in boxes. There's way less plastic waste. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I will say uh, Costco, including and Target, last time I went, I tried to bring my reusable bags to both places. They wouldn't take them because of COVID, which doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I know it's coming from my home, but like, it's not really touching anything. I don't know. Yeah, I don't understand that. Another thing is to conserve water. And I touched on this earlier, but in America, we really don't feel like we have a water shortage. We definitely do in many places, but we don't ever see that because the water comes straight out of the tap. You know, we don't ever think about that. But like, I don't know how many times like people need to tell people to turn off the water when you're brushing your teeth or like when I'm doing dishes, I'll turn off the water while I'm cleaning them. Like if I'm just hand washing, I'll like put all the soap on without the water. You don't need it. You're putting soap on the dishes. You know, just little things like that. I will say I'm definitely guilty of that. Um, I really keep the water going a lot of times. Like, and I get really distracted because right now I'm binge watching Jane the Virgin. So I pretty much have it on all the time. And like the other day I had my computer set up and I was just washing like a few dishes from my meal that I had eaten. And I kind of just had the water going and I was just watching. And then I realized, and I didn't know how long it was on and that's not good. Like I'm definitely guilty of that. So I definitely needed this reminder because I'm going to get better and I'm going to start turning the water off when I don't need it. As long as you don't leave it on while you brush your teeth, I forgive you. <laughs> I Please do that you though. Don't. You leave it no, on? I leave it on. That's what I'm saying. I'm so bad at it. I need to get better. I really do. All right. So you're part of the problem. Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I am. I, mean, I am. And I'm admitting that. And I'm going to change. But honestly, like, don't kick yourself over it. Like everyone has their things, no, you know? No, but I mean, it's all about change and growth and learning. And, you know, like sometimes we need that reminder. Like I needed that reminder because I mean, we really do. We take advantage of all the, the blessings that we have. And when water is just freely flowing, there's a lot of waste and I can do my part and reduce that waste. So I needed the reminder. You must have forgotten all those times growing up when we would leave the water on while we were brushing our teeth and mom and dad would be like, people in Africa don't have water like that. Make sure you turn it off. <laughs> I think I have forgotten. I think, I think it's also because I don't have to pay for my utilities. Mm. And so like, that's a really everything good else. Yeah, everything else I'm super conservative with, but my utilities, I don't pay for them. It's included. So I'm just like, eh, whatever, not my dime, which is so so bad. That's true, though. When we were living with Jared's parents, we were a lot more lax with that and like leaving the lights on. But now like we're paying for our own utilities and it's expensive. Like we literally don't leave the lights on and like we'll like wait till it gets like super dark to turn on the lights because it's so expensive. Yeah, that's definitely going to be me when I'm paying for my own utilities. Like I'm keeping the lights off and I'll just go off candlelight unless I really need to Legit. turn the lights on. Legit. Last one I'll say for the call to action is don't litter and pick up your trash. Like I, I don't understand how people litter. I don't, and I never will. And if my kids do it, I will be infuriated. It's not that hard. And I mm-hmm. also saw, um, 
on TikTok. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people that have organized groups to go pick up trash. And like, mm-hmm. even an hour, like if you get like, even like your family or like a couple friends, like just to go and pick up trash along the side of a road or like around where you live, that can make a big difference because that trash gets into the water and then it messes up the fish and the birds and the wildlife that live in the water and the water purifying system and all that. Like there's so many consequences from one thing. Yeah. I will never understand people who litter boo to all the litter bugs out there. We're calling you out. Stop littering. (laughs) Plain and simple. (laughs) Boo. Yeah. (laughs) Boo. Well, I think that's great. Um, I, honestly really enjoyed listening to all your research and all of like your explanations of everything. Cause like I said, like I didn't know anything about ecofeminism before. And I really like, um, all the topics that we discussed and it makes me want to go out and research more. And, um, so yeah, thanks for doing all that research. Cause that was really, really interesting. Yeah. Thank you. And really guys, I mean it please give us your opinions on ecofeminism and on this episode. I'm open to discussion. I think it would be so cool to hear other perspectives of ecofeminism because this is just like my research and other opinions I found online about Mm ecofeminism. So really reach out to us on Instagram. Um, Let us know, let us know what you guys do to help protect the environment. And if you have any other opinions or things you want to discuss. Yeah. And again, our Insta, like we say every episode, our Insta is at real talk about feminism. So reach out to us and let us know what you think. And Gigi wants to make an appearance. My cat. (laughs) Hi, Gigi. (laughs) Um. So Gigi's letting us know his thoughts. He supports ecofeminism. So let us know your thoughts. Um, we'd love to have a conversation and love to have a discussion with you guys. So reach out to us on Instagram and we will see you guys next week. See you next week.